Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And when they went in the boat to a desolate place by themselves, excuse me, now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat and sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. please in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 6. That's the passage we're looking at this morning. Uh, we will be uh, sharing communion together after the sermon this morning, so if you're at home, you can, uh, we hope you'll join us. Uh, if you're uh, watching this online, we hope you'll, you'll join us with that when we get there to that part of the service. 
Um, I wanted to say a big thank you before we pray and get into the text to everybody who was involved with the, um, the outreach yesterday at the, the Atlantic's lighted parade, the Christmas parade uh, yesterday. It was, uh, it was a cold evening, but it was still a great crowd. Laura and I walked down, went down there last night, and um, just great to see those of you who were serving. We actually had a great spot. We were giving away hot chocolate and cookies, and um, lots of people. I'm told we served uh, 12 gallons of hot chocolate to, to cold folks in, in Atlantic. I love that. I love that. We, uh, we shared God's warmth with them in the form of hot chocolate and cookies, too. So thank you for doing that, uh, those of you who are part of that team. And a, a double shout-out to Christy, who I'm told uh, who was the uh, mastermind, the brainchild behind all the logistics and everything. So thanks to everybody for doing that. Um, let's, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you so much that we do have uh, the opportunities like that, opportunities to just share uh, this love and this hope that we're talking about uh, today and last week, that we, get to, we have opportunities to share that in word and in deed with, our, with each other and with our community. And we, we pray that uh, Christ's name would be high and lifted up this, uh, this Advent season through uh, through our church and through other churches, Lord, in the community that are, are lifting high the name of Jesus. We pray that, um, yeah, that, that we need Jesus. This world needs Jesus. We need Jesus. And we pray that his name would be exalted right now. We pray for ourselves as we look at this passage this morning. Uh, turn our attention to Christ and to the love that he has for us. We pray that you will impress upon our hearts today uh, this, this theme for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start by asking, have you ever thought of the Christmas story as a love story? Have you, have you ever thought about it through that lens? Uh, a few years ago, there was a movie that came out called The Nativity Story. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. It was very well done. It was probably 15 or 16 years ago now, I guess. And uh, it, it's a period piece. It, it's set in Bible times, and it tells the story of the birth of Jesus. So it tells what, you know, a, a creative rendition, very biblically based on on what it was like when Jesus was born. And you say, well, lots of movies have done that, right? And well, yes, that's true, lots have. But of all the, the movies about the life of Jesus I've seen anyway, this one did more than any other I've ever seen to bring out the love relationship that likely existed between Mary and Joseph. They really kind of, and they didn't overdo it or anything, but they really kind of brought out that romantic relationship between Mary and Joseph. And I think they were right to do it. I really like that about that movie. Uh, if you think about it, Mary and Joseph were engaged. They were engaged to be married. And, and in their culture, uh, engagement was uh, an even stronger connection than it is in our culture. Right? I mean, really, for all intents and purposes, they were married legally. They didn't live together or sleep together during that engagement period. Uh, but, but otherwise, they, were, they belonged to each other. And so they knew where this was headed. Right? Unless something catastrophic happened, they were, they were going to be man and wife. And with that kind of commitment, uh, it's easy to imagine that they would have been growing in their love for each other. Now, their culture was different, right? Their culture was different than ours. Uh, for one thing, uh, marriages tended to be arranged rather than kind of chosen. Uh, and so you say, well, how, well that's not very romantic. And, and yet, their system was kind of designed to allow that time for affection to begin to grow between that couple. And sometimes it would be as much as a year while they were betrothed, but not fully married yet in the way we would talk about it. And during that time, they would spend time together. A lot of times they, that couple would spend time together. And, and they lived in Nazareth. Nazareth was a small village. 
right? 200 to 300 people is, uh, is the estimate. Uh, guaranteed, <laughs> they saw each other uh, several times a week. They would see each other in passing. Uh, dads, moms, think about it. If your daughter was engaged to a guy this way and, and they were going to be married in a year from now, say, wouldn't you have him over for dinner? as often as you could? Wouldn't you have him over so they would be building that relationship so they'd be getting to know each other? And as I say, they, they knew where this was headed, and so there would be festivals and celebrations, weddings for other people where they would hang out together, spend time together, exchange glances across the room, and so on. And so, I don't know if you've seen that movie recently, but, but if you do, if you, if you watch it, pay attention to that. I think they're right to bring that out, that, that growing affection. Uh, Chris, the Christmas story is a love story. I think they were on to something. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning that this is true for us as well. It's true for us too. The Christmas story is a love story for us. Uh, this morning is the, the second Sunday of Advent, and as we talked about last week, and as you know from your own experience, Advent is a, a season of spiritual preparation. It's a time when Christians uh, prepare our hearts, right? There's all those external preparations that go on in our culture, but then there's this internal preparation, the preparation of our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And this year here at Grace Point, we're, we're doing that by focusing on one of the names of Jesus. And you, you saw it in that little promo video or that, that starter video a moment ago. Uh, it, it comes from Isaiah, one of the great prophecies of the birth of Jesus, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 uh, that's the verse that tells us the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and she will call him Emmanuel. And, and Emmanuel is a name in that text, and the name means God with us. That's what it means in Hebrew, God with us. And what we're doing this Advent season, what we're doing this month, is we're exploring what that means. We're looking at what it means to say that Jesus is God with us, that he is our Emmanuel. And so we're actually using the traditional themes of Advent, and so last week we talked about hope, God with us brings hope. Uh, this morning we're going to talk about love, God with us brings love. Uh, Christmas really is a love story, and I say that because it reveals God's love. Right? If we want to know, does God, is there a God in heaven who loves us? Yes, all you got to do is look at the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus reveals God's love. So uh, we're not focusing on the traditional Christmas passages this year. I like to do that some years, but not this year. Uh, this year, we're looking at passages from the Gospels where we see these themes, the themes of the birth of Jesus, we see them in the adult ministry of Jesus. Because we could make the mistake of thinking, you know, all these things that happen in the, in the nativity scene, they just stay there. But they don't. They don't just stay there. They all run into and through and beyond his earthly ministry. So we're looking at different passages uh, this, this month where we see love and hope and so on in the adult ministry of Jesus. And that brings us this morning to the feeding of the 5,000. I could have looked at other ones, but this is the one I felt drawn to, the feeding, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And this one, this is a great passage where we see the love of Jesus in action. And so what I want to do for, by way of an outline is I want to show you four ways. Four ways Jesus reveals God's love, and we'll see them all in this text in one way or another, and especially in the sense of providing for us. And so what I want to talk about this morning actually are four needs. There are four needs that we have, and because he loves us, because God loves us, he sends Jesus. Jesus provides for these needs in our lives uh, today. So he loves us. Gee, we have these needs. Jesus meets these needs because he loves us. So, so let, me, let me show you what I mean. Let's, let's take a look. 
Uh, Number one, the first need that we have and that we see here in this text this morning is the need for rest. We need rest. We need rest. And Jesus meets this need by inviting us to spend time with him. That's that's how he meets it. And we see it in the first three verses. And so we need rest. And so Jesus invites us. He meets this need by inviting us to himself. Let's look at uh, verses uh, 30, 31, and 32. So the story begins. Uh, The apostles returned to Jesus, and they told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So verse 30 says the apostles returned. The apostles, the the 12, they returned to Jesus, which makes us ask, return from where? (laughs) Where are they coming back from? Uh, And the answer is that Jesus had sent them on a missions trip. He had. He had sent them on a a short-term missions trip. And uh, we actually read about that missions trip earlier in the chapter. So if you have your Bible open, uh, earlier in Mark uh, chapter chapter 6, it's verses 7 through 13, we read about the missions trip Jesus sent the disciples on. I'm going to read it to you, actually, just so it's in our heads. And I want you to hear why they need rest. So it says in verse 7, And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits, and he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. So no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. So this is not a vacation, right? I think that's the point of that. Uh, But to wear sandals and not even put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that's on your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and they healed them. So the disciples were, were sent out in pairs. Jesus sends them out two by two throughout the region of Galilee. They're going all throughout that northern part of Israel, and they're doing the work. <clears throat> they're doing the work of the ministry, and they're busy. You see that in those verses. They're preaching. They're preaching the good news, and it's not a, it's not a soft message, right? They're preaching that people should repent, and so they're proclaiming, and it's not only repentance. I think they're preaching the whole message, the message of, of, the, good, of the gospel, but, but they're preaching, they're, they're, they're proclaiming the good news. But it's not just the teaching, preaching, they're also doing other kinds of ministry. And so the Holy Spirit is working through them, and they're doing the same things Jesus has been doing. So they're healing people, they're anointing people with oil, they're driving out demons. So this is intense stuff, right? That's what they're returning from when we pick up in today's passage in verse 30. And so when they get back, Jesus clocks something about these guys he he realizes they need rest they need rest they're exhausted right they're exhausted physically and they're exhausted spiritually they're they're worn out and and it wasn't stopping it's not like okay well we're back with jesus it's all going to get easy now no Uh, verse 31 stresses that um it's almost like like word has got around it's not just one guy it's the whole it's the whole group of them right and so crowds are just flocking to them. And, and they're so busy. Uh, verse 31 says they can't even find time to eat. That's how pressed they are. Have you ever been that busy? Right? You ever, you're, you're really, you're maybe you're out in the fields or you're, you're at your desk and you forget to eat lunch. Uh, they, they, it's like that, but more. Like they're, they're, they can't even get time away to, uh, to be able to eat. So they've got all that going on, that spiritual and, and, uh, and physical exhaustion from doing all that work. Uh, they may also be dealing with some grief. 
I think that could well be part of it too. If, you, if your Bible is open, you'll see there's another story in between. There's another story in between the missions trip and the feeding of the 5,000, and it's the execution of John the Baptist. John is, is executed. There's that whole thing with the, uh, Herod uh, and, and Herodias and his, has his head cut off in the end. Uh, that happens in between. And the, the actual timing is a little unclear in the Gospels. We don't know for certain that John was beheaded while they were out on this missions trip. But that's how Mark gives it to us. When Mark relates the story to us, we have all this ministry they're doing, then we have this awful thing that happens, and then they get back with Jesus. And so the way the story is given to us, it, 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 it suggests that they're also dealing with their grief from losing John. Because these guys knew John. John was a kindred spirit. He was doing the same kind of ministry they were doing, pointing to Jesus. And on top of that, some of them had even followed John. Remember, some of the disciples of Jesus, Peter for one, uh, they were disciples of John the Baptist before they were disciples of Jesus. And then when Jesus comes along, John says, he's the one you want, right? Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Stop following me. He's the one you want. And so uh, John was beloved to, to many of these disciples. And so they're worn out by their work, and I think they're worn out by their grief. Jesus sees all this, and he says, guys, we need to pull away. You come away with me, he says. So what he does, actually, is he takes them on a retreat, or he tries to, right? He, he tries to take them on a retreat. And the point of this retreat, uh, it's rest. It's all about being with Jesus and resting physically, emotionally, spiritually. That's what it's about. They're not going away to strategize. Sometimes our board will take a retreat, and we don't do a lot of resting. We just strategize and we plan. Uh, that, that's not what this retreat is. This retreat is all about resting with Jesus. And just to be clear on this, it's not their idea, it's his idea. He's the one who suggests it. He says, come to me, come to me, he says, take time away with me. He still says the same thing to us today. He still says, right now, some of you are thinking of the verse I'm thinking of, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's not just those guys he says it to, he says it to us too. I'm sure that, that some of us listening to this right now need to hear those words as much as those disciples did, maybe even more. Right? There are probably some right now who need rest. Maybe you're the parent of a young child or young children, and it's a wonderful time of life. It really is. It's a wonderful, wonderful time, but it's so exhausting. It's so exhausting sometimes. You need rest. Or maybe you're an older person, you're, and you're, you know, you're not as busy as you used to be, you don't have those kind of demands on your life, but oh, there's lots else wearing you down. There's health concerns, financial worries, family concerns. Or maybe you're worn out by grief, right? Like, like we think some of these guys were. Or maybe you're depressed, or maybe your job's just been overwhelming, you've been overwhelmed at work. Whatever the, the details or the specifics, you, you click with this. You're like, yeah, I know what that's like. I feel weary, I feel worn out. If that is you, if you feel like that, you do the things the professionals say to do, right? They always, you know, you can find articles, you know, take a nap, get enough sleep, eat healthy food. You know, if you just eat more vegetables, you wouldn't feel so tired, all that kind of thing. Sure, right? That's helpful as far as it goes, but it only goes so far. The rest we really need, the soul rest, the deep rest, the spiritual rest is only found in the one who loves us only found in him it's only found in the presence of jesus christ so do what the disciples are trying to do in this passage and you'll see they get delayed in it i'm sure they got to it eventually but do what they're trying to do in here get alone with jesus 
Find a way to, to set time aside. I know it's a busy time of year, but, but find a, some time to just sit in his presence or maybe go for a walk in his presence if you're more wired that way. Some people are kinetic. You go, you go, you go, you go out to the, 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 uh, the quarry out there and you walk in his presence out there. However you're wired, but get alone with the Lord. Make sure you're getting that, that rest. He invites you to himself. He's, he's the answer for that. And he does it because he loves us. Right? He, he loves those disciples. Those disciples come back. He's not like, good job, guys. All right, let's get some more production. Right? That's good. Now let's, let's go. Here, here comes another crowd. Let's go. No, that's not his attitude with them. It's not about production. It's about, it's about Jesus. So that's the first one. Number two, the second need we see in this passage is the need for truth. We also need truth, right? So now we get into, into those more obvious spiritual needs. All the rest is a spiritual need too, but, but now we, we need truth, and he's going to provide that in this text by giving us his word. So people need truth. Jesus says, here, here's my word. And, and you see that in the next two uh, verses, verses 33 and 34. Here we go. Uh, now many saw them. Now many saw them going. The, them is Jesus and the disciples. They get in a boat and they set sail. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So unfortunately, the crowds do not cooperate, right? Jesus tries to take his guys on a retreat, and uh, basically a large crowd predicts, because it's not a huge area. I mean, it's the Sea of Galilee is only so big. So they kind of, I don't know if they can see them sailing. Maybe it was a nice clear day. But somehow this group of people figures out, okay, I see where they're headed, and they run ahead and get there, right? And word spreads. And, and so, so basically the upshot is when Jesus and his guys arrive on the other side, looking forward to some time away from it all, there's another crowd. They, they, they find waiting for them the same thing they left behind, which is a large crowd of people with lots and lots of needs. And at this point, as, they, as the boat kind of comes up to the shore, Jesus shows more of God's love. Right? Here comes more love. I think a lot of people today would tell the crowds to beat it. Right? Not now, folks. You know, we're, we're opening next week in, weekend in Capernaum. Get your tickets on Ticketmaster. Sign up now. We'll see you then. Right? I think that would be what would happen today in a lot of instances like this. But not with Jesus. Right? Jesus does, you know, he's not like, well, let me see if it's on the itinerary. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus sees the great crowd, and he has compassion on them. Right? He has compassion. And I see this whole passage is infused with that. That's right there, the key verse. He had compassion on the crowd. Uh, the word Mark uses here, it means to, to feel sympathy or pity for someone. You're, you're concerned for them. So Jesus looks at these people, and he doesn't do with what I might do, which is, ugh. No, Jesus sees them, and he's, he's, he's moved by their plight. He's, he's concerned for them. And the reason he's so concerned is they're so needy. He's so concerned because they're so needy. Mark reports they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're wandering. They're bumping into each other. They're vulnerable. They're defenseless. They're insecure. There's no one to help them, guide them, feed them, protect them. They've got nothing. And so Jesus steps into the gap. Right? The good shepherd does what good shepherds do. He steps up and takes care of the sheep. And he starts with truth. He starts with the truth. We'll get to the physical bread in a few minutes. We'll get there. But before Jesus gives them physical bread, he gives them spiritual bread. 
He, he feeds them that way. It's right there at the end of verse 34. So he sees them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're so needy. And he began to teach them many things. So he sees this need and he gives them his word. He gives them the truth. And we have no idea what this sermon was. I don't think we do. I don't think we get it in any of the parallels. Uh, he's, he's teaching them. He's just teaching them the good news. He's teaching them stuff like you get in the Sermon on the Mount and so on. He's just teaching them. He's teaching them the truth. And he's doing so, again, it's an extension of it. It flows right out of his compassion, his love, his concern for them. Our culture, the world you and I live in, does not always put truth and love together. We, we actually, in, in our muddled thinking, we, we like to separate them sometimes. We want to say truth and love, they don't go together, right? And so if you, if you love someone, you're going to tolerate, right? You'll tolerate whatever they might be into, right? That's how we look at it a lot of times. But as far as God is concerned, truth and love are inseparable, right? They're all tangled up together. When you, when you love someone, you, you, you give them truth, right? And, and you know, it's truth with love and love with truth, but, but, but you can't separate those two. If, if someone's standing in the road and, and a truck is heading toward them, uh, the most loving thing you can do is yell, get out of the way, right? You can warn them to get out of the way of the truck. That person doesn't need acceptance of, of his choices to stand in the road at that point. That person needs, needs truth, and, and that's what you see Jesus doing here in this text. And like I say, again, we don't know the content of his sermon, what sorts of things, but we know the sorts of things Jesus said when we read through the rest of the Gospels. He loves these people, he has compassion on them, and so he teaches them. He teaches them about God and God's love and, and obedience and faithfulness and all those wonderful things we read about. He does the same thing for us. He does the same thing for us. God doesn't leave us to wallow in our, our ignorance and our self-deception. Instead, he shines the truth into our lives. He shines the truth. And, and sometimes he does this through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. I, I think it's important to leave room for that, especially when we talk in the first point about getting alone with the Lord. Sometimes you're, you're just sitting there in prayer, and, and you know different ones have told me, I know, you'll have this experience of just knowing his love without an open Bible in front of you. And, and sometimes we'll have that sense of inner witness, the whispers of the Holy Spirit and so on. That's, that's legitimate. But most of the time, the, the standard way he does it is right here. It's right here through his word. This is where he convicts us and corrects us and encourages us and, and guides us and leads us and steers us and redirects us when we're going off course like wayward sheep can do sometimes. Whatever it is we need, right? whatever it is we need, uh, when we need truth, Jesus gives us his word to steer us the way he wants us to go. And he does it because he loves us. I just want to underline that part again. Uh, he has compassion on us just like he has compassion on the crowd in this morning's text. We need truth, uh, just like they did. And he gives it to us, because he loves us. The third need that we see in this passage is probably the one we think of when we first read this passage. It's the need for provision. We need provision. Uh, we need food. We need clothing. We need a place to live. We need a job to pay for it, right? In a word, we need provision. We need provision. That's the word I want to use to summarize uh, our material needs. And Jesus meets this need too, right? That's a big part of this passage. He meets this need by taking care of us physically. Our God does take care of us physically. He absolutely does. And, and we see that in this text. We see it in uh, verse 35. Actually, in the rest of the text, I'm going to just pick up with verse 35. Uh, it says, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and to buy themselves something to eat. 
So uh, I'll stop there. Mark doesn't say how long Jesus taught. He doesn't give us a time indicator, but apparently it was long enough that it was getting late. So you do definitely get the sense that several hours have passed. And uh, so it's getting late in the day, and since it's getting late, the disciples are getting worried. It's getting late, they're getting worried. Uh, it's, they're out in the countryside, right? So imagine setting up, you know, halfway between, you know, here and Creston, something like that. You know, they're out in the middle of, you know, kind of mostly nowhere, right? There's, there's, uh, there's, it's a deserted place. And so they go to Jesus with, uh, with some advice, although it really comes off as more of an order, doesn't it? Uh, they, they come along and they're like, hey, Jesus, don't mean to interrupt, but uh, send them away. <laughs> send the people away. Right? And, and where they want them to send them to is to the surrounding villages. Send them to, you know, to the Burger Kings and the marketplaces and all the rest so they can, they can go get themselves some food. So there's a physical need. Right? That's, that's what's presented to us in those two verses. There are thousands of people. Verse 44 is going to tell us 5,000 men plus the women and men who go along with that. Or excuse me, women and children that go along with that. So thousands and thousands of people and they need something to eat and there's no food around. Right? So there's a physical need. Jesus agrees with them. Right? He doesn't argue with them. He's not like, ah, they're not, you know, Jesus doesn't, ah, they're not hungry, they don't need any food. You know, he doesn't, he, that's not what he does. So he agrees with them that the people have a need. He does not, however, agree with their idea of how it should be dealt with. Right? They want the people to go deal with their own need. Jesus does not want to do it that way. Right? And so you get verse 37, you get his answer. He says, uh, he answered them, you give them something to eat. All right, this is his solution. You guys give them something to eat. This is preposterous. It really is. It's preposterous on the face of it. Uh, like I just said, thousands of people, 5,000 men, let's triple the number, a lot of scholars will say, uh, to get, get a sense of, of how the total side of the crowd, size of the crowd when you add in women and children who are along. Call it 15,000 people. Jesus has 12 disciples. He tells them, you give them something to eat. It's like telling your small group, your life group, to feed all of Cass County. Right? Have them over for a barbecue in July. Have the whole county over uh, for, for an afternoon cookout. Right? It's, it's, it's absurd. It, it would never fly. And the disciples say as much. In fact, they're actually, they're, it, it's hard to tell whether they're rude to Jesus here or if they're being patient. But uh, middle of verse 37, they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Is, is that what you want us to do? You want us to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread to feed all these people? Uh, uh, the NIV, the New International Version, does the conversion for us. If you want to know how much is 200 denarii, what's that? What's 200 denarii? Uh, 200 denarii is eight months' wages. Eight months of a man's wages. That's what the NIV has for this verse. That would take eight months of a man's wages. Uh, we don't know how much money Jesus and his disciples carried around, but it wasn't that much. Right? It wasn't anything like that. They do not have those kinds of resources available to them. And so there's probably a, a sense of kind of either exasperation or, or maybe even some, some sarcasm here when, when they say that to him. Jesus, though, says, go look anyway. He says, go look anyway. Go, go see what we've got. Go see what resources we have available to help these people. And so they do, right? Good disciples. They, you, know, you obey the master even when you don't understand what he's saying. And so they do. Verse 38, they, they go, they look around, they come back, they give the report. All right, Jesus, we've got five loaves and two fish. 
And I, I, I imagine they bring it, right? We've got five, you know, and we're not talking big baguettes either. We're talking the roll. It's probably little rolls is the word that's used. So we have, uh, we have five loaves and two fish. We don't know what Jesus said next. Uh, in fact, it doesn't seem he said anything. There's, there's, it's, it's striking when you study the text or just read through it. Uh, there's no more talking. There's actually been quite a bit of talking, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and then the talking stops, and it's just doing. Right, so they, they show, here's what we got, five loaves and two fish, and nothing else needs to be recorded as said. Jesus will pray, but nothing else is said. He just does. And here's where we see him take care of them. Verse 39 I'll actually read through again to the end so it's fresh in our heads. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Very vivid detail. Sit down on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Back in verse 34, uh, we read that Jesus had compassion. Right? Like I said, I think that's a key verse to this text. Jesus had compassion on them. And because he had compassion, he began to teach them. Right? He began to teach them many things. That compassion hasn't stopped. It's, it's still going. Right? It doesn't stop with the teaching. Uh, he provided for them spiritually because he loves them. And now he's going to provide for them physically because he loves them. He gives them food to eat. And he does so in a way that is totally clear he's the one who does it. I think that's a big part of, of the whole thing with the five loaves and the two fishes and the 200 denarii. And like, like it, he's, he's, he's stringing them through this so that they completely understand this is all him and none them. Right? It's all him. This is one person's meal. John stresses that. When you read John's account of the same miracle, it's a boy's lunch. Five, five loaves, two fish. It's one person's food. And Jesus is going to take that one person's food and he's going to do something with it, right? That's the point. The point is the disciples do not have the resources when they come back with their five loaves and their two fish. They do not have the resources to take care of these people. But Jesus does. He has the power and he has the compassion. He has the ability, and he wants to. He has the power and the compassion to take care of them. The same thing is true for us. That has not changed. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. He knows we need physical provision. He knows the stuff we need, and he takes care of us. He provides for us physically. Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 32. He says, your heavenly Father knows you need these things. It's the, it's, the anxious, it's the anxiety passage. He says, why are you anxious about these things? He says, your heavenly Father knows you need these things. He knows we need food to eat and, and water to drink and clothing to wear. He knows we need money for the mortgage and heat for the house. And He knows it. He knows we need you know, some appropriate amount of resources for when we get older. He knows our needs. He knows our needs. And because he loves us, he'll take care of those needs. Jesus said. I can't tell you how. I can't tell you how he's going to do it. It might be like this one, right? It might be miraculous. I know there's stories like that, and some of us have stories like that. It might be more subtle, it might be more mundane, but it's no less his work, right? The how he does it is up to him. I don't know how he'll do it, but I know from Scripture that he will. I know that he will because he loves us. Because he loves us, Jesus will take care of those physical needs as well. 
Finally, finally, the fourth need that we have, big, big need that we have, uh, is the need for salvation. We need a Savior. We need a Savior. We need to be forgiven from our sins. And you know what? Jesus meets this need too. In fact, you could make the case that this last, this last reason I want to talk about, and I'll spend less time with this one and wrap it up, uh, this last reason you could make the case is the whole reason for Christmas. You know, it really is. God sees our need for a Savior, and so he gives us himself. Jesus saw our need for a Savior, and so he gave us himself. Now, Mark does not talk about this one very much in our text this morning. I do think it's hinted at. Uh, I think he, it's hinted at a little bit, the ideas of eternal life and, and uh, salvation, forgiveness. It's, it's hinted at here, but only hinted. Only hinted in the telling of the story. John, though, John, in the Gospel of John, when John tells this exact same story, it's interesting, this miracle is one of the few, it's, not, it's probably not the only one, but it's one of the few miracles that's chronicled in all four Gospels. That's how important it was. Uh, all four Gospel writers give us the, the feeding of the 5,000. And when John tells us this story, he actually stretches it much longer. He tells us much more details, much, many more details. And so he reports the details, he reports the, the miracle itself in much the same way that that uh, Mark and the others do. But then John goes on to tell us what happened the next day. And what happened the next day is they try to get away again. They try to go to a different place. And the crowd meets them again. The crowd follows them again. And this is the one where they, they, they want to make him king and they want more bread. They, they're like, this is great. You know, if, we want more of this. And he ends up preaching a long sermon in which Jesus, Jesus preaches this long sermon. Read the whole, it's a fascinating passage. Go read it, John chapter six. He preaches this sermon in which he draws a straight line from the physical bread he'd given them in, in the, out in the, in the feeding of the 5,000. He draws a straight line from that physical bread to the spiritual bread, the spiritual bread that he has come to bring them. And he actually mentions it in several places, which is why I won't turn there now. There's too much actually to look at but probably the simplest one is just verses 47 and 48. Jesus explaining all of this to them. He's talking about the miracle he did. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes, he's talking about himself, whoever believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. So he says to this crowd of people, he says, I gave you physical bread yesterday and it was good. It was good stuff. It was overflowing. It was the best bread you've ever had and there was plenty left over. But if you believe me, Jesus says, if you trust in me, I'm going to give you something even better than that. I'm going to give you eternal life. And again, he does it because he loves us. He offers us this because he loves us. As I say, it's, it's in, you can really make the case it's the reason for Christmas. God sent his son into the world because he loves us. Wait, that's familiar. John 3.16, for God loved the world this way. I love that translation. It's the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, CSB brings out the sense of that John 3.16 verse. For God loved the world this way. Here's how he did it. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, will not die eternally, but will have eternal life. Christmas really is a love story. It is. It's a love story. God loves you so much that he sent Jesus. He wasn't showing off his power when Christ became human. He was showing off his love. He was showing off his love. And so if you believe in Jesus, God wants you to know that you are loved this Christmas. It's a very important thing to know. You are loved, regardless of what you're facing. Don't let your circumstances, if they're bad, tell you that God doesn't love you. He does. 
So if you're lonely, if you're afraid, if you're feeling weary these days or isolated or whatever else you might be going through, nevertheless, you are loved. Not, not, and not by a, a principle, but by a person. That's, a, that's such a key part of, of what we're, I'm trying to bring out this, this month. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us, he's a person and he loves us. If you've never received that, if you've never received that gift that I just described, you know, that, that, if, you, if you have received it, you are loved. <laughs> you are the full recipient of all of that. If you've never received it, I just want to encourage you to do so this morning. I encourage you to receive that. Uh, giving your life to Jesus is not about rules and regulations. It, it's not. It, it's about a relationship with a God who loves us. And so if you've never started that relationship, if you've never entered into it, I would love to talk to you afterwards about Jesus. Come, come find me afterwards. Or if you're like, I don't like you, Don, well, go find somebody else. I, I just, there's, there's, there's nothing special about me. Um, you could, you know, anybody in this room who, who's already walking with Jesus can tell you about walking with Jesus and how to get started with that. So it doesn't even, it doesn't, there's nothing where it has to be me or whatever. Talk to someone. Uh, you know, help me understand this. How does this work? What is it you're talking about? You know, help me, you know, the person you came with maybe today. Or you know what? You might just need to go straight to him. Maybe just talk to him. Some, some people listen to me right now. You, you could get up here yourself and present this message. Uh, you just haven't done anything with it yet. You, you've, been, you've been putting it off. Well, don't put it off anymore. Don't put it off. God loves you. God loves you. And it's time to accept that. It's time to accept that gift from him.